All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I am Chris Papa, and today we have a very special guest, Connie Moore. Connie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for coming on here and uh, being so patient with our technical difficulties to start out. Uh, I was just saying how you have so many accomplishments, um, it's hard to read them all off, but I will do my best. So you are a, uh, I'm just reading off the the Berkeley, the Haas Berkeley website here. It says Constance Moore is a distinguished real estate veteran and volunteer board member for numerous organizations. You were honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award at the 18th Annual Haas Gala. Um, you are the former president and CEO of BRE Properties, a real estate investment trust that develops and manages apartments in highly desirable locales in the West. You were named to the Northern California Real Estate Women of Influence Hall of Fame and have been noted multiple times as one of the most influential women in the Bay Area business by the San Francisco Business Times. Um, your volunteer leadership includes serving on the Haas board as, as chair of the Policy Advisory Board for Haas Haas's Fisher Center for Real Estate and Urban Economics. You've also taught generations of students as a guest speaker at numerous Haas classes. Uh, you serve on the board of many organizations, including the San Jose State University Tower Foundation, Bridge Housing Corporation, and the Urban Land Institute, among others. Wow, that's impressive. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm pleased to be here. It's great. Thank you. Well, you are, uh, you're, you're up in San Francisco, correct? I am. I am. Where it's a little bit foggy today, it's great, cool, so it's lovely. And we're recording this on um, June 15th, 2020, so we're still in quarantine. We are. We are. And uh, things seem to be getting, moving a little bit, opening up a little bit here here and there, which is good. I'm down in San Mateo, and uh, I have a hotel booked a couple weekends from now somewhere, so it's like things are kind of getting back to normal. We, we had a discussion today about... Um, opening our office in New York. So that's pretty nice. But, um, and you said, Chris, why do you want me on this podcast? I'm retired. And I said, <laughs> cause you're one of the most accomplished real estate professionals in the Bay area. So I wanted to kind of go through your background if that's okay with you. It's okay with me. Great. I'm still retired though. You're what? I'm still retired though. Perfect. Well, I wanted to know where did you, did you grow up in the Bay area? I did. I grew up in San Jose. We moved it. We moved. I was born in Minnesota, um, but we moved to California when I was four. So my dad and my uncle were um, home builders and chopped down a lot of the fruit trees in um, what was then just Santa Clara Valley, um, um, now Silicon Valley. But uh, and they built single family homes. Oh, wow. So you grew up in a real estate family. I did. I did. And then did you always have an interest in it or was it something that you developed over time? Oh, well, it's something that I developed over time just because um, uh, kind of interesting. I w I'm the middle of three girls and um, my parents came from, you know, good Midwestern stock. And um, so the three of us were, I'm the middle, and the three of us were raised to go to college for um, two years to culture. And then... Um, uh, after that, we could get married and have children. <laughs> yeah. So exactly um, what my two um, sisters did. Um, they both became nurses and then were married and pregnant within a month of being married. Um, but I, um, when I, so I never, we never really talked about 
college at home. Um, so I can't say that I had a really traditional path. We didn't talk about it just because it wasn't um, something that was viewed as important. So when I started San Jose State, probably like a lot of 18 year olds, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, I, I was working for the summer before I started, I was working for a savings and loan um, in their accounting department. I was working as a file clerk, but I was learning a whole bunch of stuff. So when I started taking business courses, they just resonated with me. And um, it's what I I just decided, I, I just connected with it. And San Jose State at the time, they don't have it anymore, which is most unfortunate, I think. But they had, you could get a business degree with a concentration in real estate. And oh, wow. um, so I took that thinking that someday I might, you know, work with my dad or my uncle. Um, um, and so I was there for four years. And then I had a professor who said to me, one of my real estate professors said, there's this um, REIT up in, now this is 1977. Mm -hmm. There's a REIT up in um, San Francisco that's looking for an analyst and you should go interview. So I was like, okay. So (laughs) I drove up to San San Francisco and um, I met, (laughs) sometimes I think it's so funny. So they were on the 42nd floor of the B of A building. Um, It was and so, and again, remember, I didn't have a whole lot of coaching from my mother. So I, I decided that day to wear a um, white polyester pantsuit with a blue shirt and a man's tie. <laughs> I had never worn a tie before, and I've never worn one since. I don't know that. Yeah. So I walked there, and as you can imagine, you know, this was 1977. It was all men in the office other than the administrative staff. And I am certain I was there for six hours for an, for an, for an analyst position. I interviewed every single person and I'm certain that, that they, somebody, somebody called somebody when I walked in and said, you are not going to believe what just walked in here. (laughs) So I, um, anyways, and, and during, I was talking to the president, this was the last person, but the president was, I was talking to him and he said to me, he said, well, we're going to be interviewing some Stanford and Harvard MBAs for this job. And mm-hmm. in my head, I thought, well, I'm never going to get this job. Never. So I got a little cocky um, and talked about all the great things I could do. And they, <laughs> they called me at security savings and um, they said, we'd like to offer you a job. Is at first they said they would like to offer you a job for to be a, an intern for three months because I didn't have my degree. And I said, well, I said, I, I have six months to go to get my undergraduate degree. So if you'll make me an intern for six months, I'll consider it. Otherwise, I'll just stay where I am. Mm. I was very smug. And so they called me back and they said, OK, we don't want to embarrass you. How much are you making? And I told them $2.50 an hour. <laughs> and they offered me $1,000 a month. Um, and if you know your math, yeah. um, $2.50. 50 cents an hour is not anywhere close to $12,000 a year. Um, And um, so anyways, I, um, I moved up to San Francisco. Well, I actually started, I started taking the train, which was awesome. I loved that. Um, And then I'd been here about a month and they wanted me to do a budget on a troubled asset that we had in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And they said, go visit it. So I did. They, and here I am a month into my internship. I'm 21 years old. And they flew me first class. I'd never oh, flown wow. in my life. So as far as I was concerned, I was it was it was a permanent job. I moved <laughs> yeah. I moved up to San Francisco, and at the end of six months, they offered me a permanent job, and 
the rest is history. And that that REIT just happens to be BRE. So BRE was my first job and BRE wow. was my last. Yeah. That is so, incredible. So that's, that's how I got started. And it was just, and then of course, when I got there and everyone had this thing called an MBA and a really, I'm really not sure I knew what an MBA was. Um, so I said, well, I'll just go get one. And so <laughs> Berkeley, Berkeley had this amazing program in the 70s. They also don't have this anymore, where it was what they called the um, San Francisco MBA program. And all of the professors came over to Hastings Law School. So all of my classes were, I'm going to hang that up. All of my classes were um, at Hastings, and it was awesome. And um, so I did that, and um, and I was at BRE for about six years before I left, and then went a whole bunch of different places and came back as part of the CEO succession in um, 2002. But I think, um, you know, so it, it certainly wasn't a traditional path. I didn't really know, you know, people used to say to me, well, did you always want to be a CEO? And I don't think I even knew what that was because my dad and my uncle were just, you know, partners building houses. Mm. Um, and so for me, it was learning as much as I could. I have a, um, a pretty keen sense of curiosity and I just, I just want to learn. I didn't, you know, when I, when I first moved up here, I didn't have a TV because I just wanted to read and I wanted to read everything that I could. And, and then of course I was in school and, um, so, and I wasn't distracted with, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all the other things that were distracted today. And um, so it was great. And I just took on more and more responsibility. I remember one time one of my bosses said, you know, you're just a doormat. You never say no to anything. And I said, well, yeah, it's because I'm learning so much. Why, why would I turn down any project? Um, so that's kind of how I got my start. It's a little weird, but that's it works. how I got I mean, did, you, were, you were mentioning that you walked into the office with a tie and you're the only non uh administrative person there. There was a woman, a woman, uh, that without, I mean, I assume, I mean, that's an issue today. I mean, I assume back, you know, it wasn't that long ago, but it was, you know, significant amount of years. I mean, was there, were there any other women in, in real estate in San Francisco? Uh, mm, not really. Um, the, the, the industry was, you know, I mean, I look at it now and I think, you know, I think, um, like, like ULI has their women's leadership initiative or there's crew, the commercial, um, women in real estate, there's so many organizations that um, focus on um, on women or help to support women and mentor women. I know there was nothing like that. And I, you know, I didn't really have any, I, well, certainly didn't have any women mentors. Um, and I and I had a couple of men, I would call a couple of men that, that turned out to what today we would classify as sponsors, but they didn't really that isn't the way we talked in those days, but I think um, I I just um, I learned to uh, to adapt. I mean, many times, many times I well, all the meetings I was in, I was always the only woman I'd be sitting with. And of course, in those days, you know, that you smoked in the I didn't smoke, but you smoke in the office. Yeah. I can remember being in meetings where everybody was smoking cigars, and you know, and we'd have these meetings, and you know, and I was. I guess I was just sort of oblivious to some of the, you know, sort some of sort of the attitudes. I do remember um, I we had one guy. He was one of our construction guys, and I was in his office one day, and he was ranting and raving about women working or whatever. And I said, "Well, Bob, how do you feel about me being here?" And he said, "Well, I didn't hire you." <laughs> and he was like, 
you know, so in my mind, it was kind of like, look, I can't change his mind. Um, but I'll just have to kind of wait till I'm not working with him or he's not here anymore. Um, so I, I just learned one of the highest compliments I ever got was um, that he said, Connie, you're just a regular guy. Yeah. And and for me, um, you know, I, I've had many accolades, wonderful awards, but the best awards um, that I've gotten are like the Haas one um, or which was, you know, the Lifetime Achievement Award. It wasn't the Woman Lifetime Achievement Award. It was a Lifetime Achievement Award. Yes. Um, I got um, Lambda Alpha, you know, honored me to be the person of the year in 2014. And um, because, you know, as a woman, I've had lots of, you know, woman real estate of the year and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, as you and I both know, this is an accident of birth. I didn't choose it. Right. You didn't choose to be what you are. I didn't choose to be what I am. So, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, running BRE. I had an analyst ask me one time because, you know, as we were in the middle of our merger and even before some of it, some of the analysts were, you know, being, you know, a little bit snarky. And um, one of an analyst that I'd known for a really long time, he said, Connie, do you think that they're they're um, treating you this way because you're a woman? And I said to him, I said, you know, it's absolutely never occurred to me because when you're running a public company, it's the greatest meritocracy. You're either doing well or you're not. And the numbers yeah. show, right? And, um, so I've never, um, I've never wanted to use being female to get anywhere. Um, and I'm, I'm certain in the early days, it probably held me back. Um, but, um, but it's just, you know, I, uh, and I think one of the reasons, although I, I never wore a tie again, but I did, <laughs> I did, um, dress pretty, I went to, I remember when I started at BRE and, you know, I, I, I was so fortunate. That's why I said I, I, I was absolutely so lucky because BRE in the early seventies, um, early or late seventies and early eighties, really, when I was there, you know, we were pretty small and, um, and, and our trustees, many of whom had come from the Bank of America or clients of Bank of America. And they were all men, you know, that were in their sixties and seventies. And so to me, they were like my grandfather. Right. And, um, so I, 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 I dressed very, um, court, very corporately. I remember going to a tailor over on union street and I said, okay, make me three men's suits. And I want, you know, blue, brown, and, you know, navy. And, and, um, so I never wore a tie again, but I, but I always wanted them to listen to me and not look at me. Mm -hmm. I didn't want, I didn't want, um, whatever I was wearing to be distracting because I wanted them to hear what I had to say. That's a good point. Um, so you were started at BRE when you, and so you were doing more of the accounting side or analyst. Yeah, I was an analyst. We had what we called, it was called our production group. And BRE had gone public in 1970. And, um, you know, there was um, a very severe real estate recession in 73 and 74. And so BRE, like many of the REITs, got into some trouble. So when I started in 70, mid, mid-77, 30% of our portfolio was what we considered non-earning. So it was, it was, there was a lot of challenged real estate. So I was so fortunate that I got to um, really be a, a sort of kind of like the workout girl. And a lot. And so they gave, you know, they gave me more responsibility than any 21, 22 year old should have had. But um, 
I just, you know, I had some great bosses. And so I had assets from Hawaii to New York and um, a lot of troubled assets. But um, but that also meant that every month I got to go and um, uh, meet with our board of directors. So I got a really, really early on experiencing sitting in the boardroom you know, learning to you know, learning to answer the questions in a clear, coherent way and, you know, not ramble on and, and basically help them understand either where we were coming from, what we were doing with the asset. So I was really, really fortunate that way. Do you think there was something about you that, that they gave you this responsibility or was it just blind luck? I'm... You know, I mean, I, I think I've always, you know, I've worked six and a half days a week my entire life. Um, and so I think they knew that I worked hard. I think they knew that I was not afraid to ask um, the questions. Although I do remember the chief investment officer, one of the times when I first got there, I think it was when I was an analyst and I walked into his office and I wish I could remember, I don't even remember what question I asked him. And he looked at me and he goes, if you had your MBA, I wouldn't answer that question, but since you don't, I'll answer that. <laughs> and so I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I hope I know the answer when I'm an MBA, right? Yeah. Um, but it also, I will tell you, um, it also shaped the way I um, um, dealt with anyone who worked for me. Um, anyway, because I always thought there was never a stupid question. If you had a question, you had the right to have an answer to it because I was just so, I was like, I was so nervous when he said that. Um, but I think people recognized, you know, I had worked all the way um, for four years while I was um, um, at San Jose State. So, so they knew that I, you know, that I worked hard um, and and that I was, you know, I was not afraid to, you know, I've, I've always sort of been, what's the, short of dying, what's the worst thing that can happen to you on a project or taking a new responsibility? And some, you could fall flat on your face, but it's like, mm -hmm. but, you know, then you just pick yourself up and you figure it out. So um, I was very fortunate. I had, you know, we were small. I mean, BRE in those days, um, was really small. I think we only had four or 500 million in assets. And so we were pretty small and it was a small team. So I really got, um, you know, and because I think I was a novelty, I mean, I, I definitely was a novelty. Um, so, um, I think that they just, you know, gave me responsibilities to see what I could do. So I did. <laughs> and then you're, you're doing the workouts. I mean, was there a particular path I guess when you came back from your MBA, there was, you said there was a, a program that they put you in there, but was there like, you know, CEO is just like, that's a huge responsibility, right? I mean, it's like. It is. You know, again, so I've gotten, all right. So I was, so I, I went to Cal and, and because my undergraduate degree was in concentrated in real estate, but, but at San Jose state, um, their, their philosophy was, I think there were six core courses in the real estate concentration. And, um, so you took those, you know, it was appraisal and, you know, real estate law and, and, um, and so that, you know, their idea was that you would go get your broker's license. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, I never got my broker's license. So, so then when I decided to go to Cal, it's so funny at, at the, the evening program that I went to, the San Francisco MBA program, they had two concentrations. You could go into finance or you could go into um, management. And now again, my little warped mind, it was like, oh, management, anybody can do management. And of course, today we're finding, no, not everyone can do management. <laughs> yeah. anyway, 
so I said, I want to, I want to, I want to um, marry the real estate um, education I had at San Jose State with the finance education at Cal. Um, and so, um, so I did that. And then I stayed at, I, I graduated in December of 80 from Cal. And then I le- I was at BRE for another um, two and a half years. And it really, I really, you know, by this time, you know, I was feeling kind of smug and I really wanted to push myself to do something different because I didn't, the only person that reported to me was my administrative assistant. And I said, you know what, I want to do something. And I, um, stepping back a little bit, I, I was always what I would describe as adult shy. So anybody who was older than me was the adult. And I always felt very shy and very, um, very much like a child. So I Mm. forced myself um, to go on practice interviews all the time. So during my six years at BRE, I probably went on 25 practice interviews. Now they didn't know that it was a practice interview, but me, it was a way to learn to one talk to these adults who made me nervous to basically describe who i am what i did my skills my weaknesses um and learn about um other other aspects of the real estate industry so some of the people i've known the longest are people that i met on on um on uh, practice interviews and what i would do is for example if this was a practice interview chris in the old days we had our daytimer right we didn't have it you know, and so I might flip six months ahead and write, call Chris for coffee. So I stayed in contact with you, even though, and many of those, many times I got offered in a job, I, you know, I would turn them down and I would come back and go, I have the greatest job because of the amount of responsibility they were giving me. But it, but it taught me a way to communicate. And again, you know, sometimes I'd be in a, in an interview and I'd go, ugh. Oh, I don't really like the way I answered that, but I learned from it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so finally, at the end of six years, um, Consolidated Capital, which was a real estate syndicator over in Emeryville, called and asked um, if I would consider starting a portfolio management department and basically starting a department and hiring the team. And for me, it was kind of like, OK, I've never done that before, so I'm going to try it. So I went there and I and and consolidated capital. This was early '83, so it was before the '86 tax law changed, which cratered all of them. Um, but but I had we had 16 public partnerships, and then I was responsible also for the three equity REITs. Mm-hmm. Um, we we had we had two mortgage REITs, but I didn't have those. And so I, I basically hired a team. And um, I learned so much about the hiring process, the managing process. Um, and then I also learned about the firing process. Um, and again, it's I think about it today. So in 1985, my boss came to me and said, I want you to I want you to terminate half your staff. He didn't tell me why. He didn't tell me that we were in the middle of a merger and because I was GNA, they wanted to, you know, kind of shore up the balance sheet and the income statement, right? He didn't tell me that. Mm. And it wasn't like he said, go talk to Sally or Jim in HR. He just said, here's what you can do. And you can give everybody, you know, you figure out who you want to terminate and you can give them all three months. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, how, how am I going to, I like all the people that I hired. Right. Yeah. So I, I went home and I sat down and I thought, all right, if I had to pay 
all of the people that worked for me out of my paycheck. I would want my paycheck to be as big as possible so I could do that. So who do I think on the team will make my, I'm being facetious, obviously, but yeah. who do I think will make my paycheck the biggest and the ones that I think are the best to keep? So I kind of, I went through it. And as it turned out, everybody that was going to stay um, lived in San Francisco. So I invited each one of them individually to breakfast at Deutsch's Cafe. They didn't, um, on Fillmore, I don't know if you ever knew that. It was a great place to eat. And they didn't, none of them knew that they were all, all coming. So they all came and I told them what was happening. I told them that they were safe, but I said, it's going to be a really, really, really tough day. So I started go, and I had no HR, no HR help today. You would <laughs> never do those conversations by yourself. You know, you'd no. have someone. And so I individually, you know, and the first person that came in was all excited to have a meeting. But by the time she left in tears, people started figuring out, oh, no, if you're getting called into Connie's office, it's not going to be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, so I think I've, um, you know, I've, I've always had, I've always tried to, be very empathetic and put myself in um, um, other people's shoes. Um, our, our brand promise at BRE was from your point of view. And I used to say to our associates, if every encounter you have with an associate, a shareholder or a customer, um, and you always consider it from their point of view, I said, we'll be the best um, public company in the world. And I've been, I was thinking about that the other day. I said, well, I think maybe we need to start thinking about that these days. <laughs> um, but, um, but I didn't really have any help. So I just, um, because I did a lot of reading and I just thought about, you know, what I wanted to do. I had goals. I had, you know, when I was really little, I had the fear of being an old woman eating cat food. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I don't know anyone who ever ate cat food. So, um, <laughs> I'm not I really not. sure where that yeah. came from, but I just, I had this, this desire to do well and this desire to work. And for me, um, for me, it was, um, you know, doing well was and, and excelling is a way that, you know, my goal ultimately, and now I'm being able to accomplish that as, as a retired person is to be able to give back both, both mm. in my, on my, on my nonprofit boards, but also in terms of my contributions as well. Um, and, um, so I, I just think, I don't think I shied away and I wasn't afraid to ask any questions. So people just said, all right, well, let her let's see what she can do with this. And, um, and so I remember when I, I left, um, I was with Consolidated Capital for about six years until um, after the 86 tax law change, it kind of cratered and as did a lot of syndicators. And um, I worked for Peter Bedford um, for a while. And then I joined in 1993. I went to um, Security Capital. We moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, and Bill Sanders was um, just starting um, Security Capital, and um, they had taken a position in at the time, which was called Property Trust of America, and um, and so I went out there. And it's so funny because I remember my interview. All right, so now you have to kind of think about the time frame. So I started in '77. I didn't never had a computer at BRE, right? There was no personal computers. That I remember memory typewriters. That was really great when my assistant. <laughs> that was, and so then I moved to Concap, and then of course now I'm managing people. But you know my people had computers. I didn't have computers, mm, right? My people. yeah. So when I get to, when I'm interviewing in Santa Fe. Um, 
I'm interviewing with um, the chief operating officer. He's talking about, you know, he's, he's got this model that he's working on. And, and, and I, so I, I didn't lie, but I said, well, you know, Ron, I said, I don't really know Lotus is, it was Lotus in those days. I said, I don't really know Lotus as well as you do. And he goes, oh, now I just add and subtract, right? Yeah. So, anyway, so I get offered the job. I move to Santa Fe. My husband comes at the end of two weeks. And at the end of two weeks, I get a computer, right? They finally bring me my, my computer. And um, so my boss comes over with a floppy. You remember the old floppy disk? And goes, he says, I want you to take a look at this model and see what you, what, see what you think about it. So I knew how to open it up, right? Mm. And so it's Lotus model, and it had 528 rows. Yikes. What I said. I think I was probably a little more colorful. And so <laughs> I remember calling my husband and I said, oh, my God, he's going to figure out I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. He's firing. And so and I, I'm not someone who gets emotional or cries, but he could tell that I was upset. And he goes, he goes, do you want to go have coffee? So we went and had coffee in this little place called Burrow Alley. And I'm not listening to him at all. I'm just flipping through this Santa Fe and kind of rag. And this ad jumps out and it says, I teach Lotus. Oh, and so, wow. I, oh my God. so it was a, it was a, an instructor at Santa Fe city college. And I went out to her home one day and we went through it. And by the time when I, when we started going through it, I go, this is just algebra. And so anyways, and so she said, all right, I just want to see what the setup is in your office. She came the next Saturday and that was it. I was done. I knew what I was doing. So um, you, you addressed your weakness, like your, the things you felt were your weaknesses. Like you said, yeah. You, exactly. went, you met with the the adults, quote unquote adults. So you interviewed a couple places, and yep. and then with Lotus, you, you figured that out. I mean, is that, is that kind of the, is that a theme throughout your career? It's been a theme. It's kind of like when I'd been at um, Security Capital for a few years, and my whole life I've worked for public companies, right? Always, mm -hmm. and so I understand public companies. I understand the cadence of ten Qs and ten Ks and all of that stuff, right? And so, um, so Bill said to me, I want you to go to Atlanta and I want you to take Security Capital Atlantic public. So while I had worked for public companies, I had never taken one public. Mm. And it was like, oh, all right, well, we'll figure that out. So I, <laughs> I moved to, um, I moved to um, uh, Atlanta in March of 96. We, and so Goldman was our um, advisor and they helped us take it, take it public. And so we went public in October of um, 96. And um, so I was chief, I was um, co-chairman co and chief operating officer of, um, Bill had this whole thing about co-everything because he, he, he and um, Hank Paulson were amazingly good friends. And at the time, Goldman had this whole co-CEO thing. So Bill thought that was a great idea. So we had co-chairman um, co and I was chief operating officer. And, um, and so I was there until, uh, so we took it public and was there until um, Scott Sellers, who was running Security Capital Pacific. So we had a West Coast um, REIT, multifamily REIT, and an East Coast multifamily REIT. And we kind of split the country in half, and neither one of us took Mississippi or Louisiana. <laughs> we were kind of, um, we were kind of um, butting up against each other. So we decided to merge, and I had never done a merger before. Um, we decided to merge, um, I guess the announcement, oh, that was funny. We did the announcement in April of 1998, um, and we closed in July of 98. And then I moved to Denver for a very short period of time um, until Bill, I'd been in Denver, renovated a house for three months, been in 
um, been in the house for two weeks and Bill called and said, I want you back in Santa Fe. So I moved back to Santa Fe and, um, and then I was there. um, That was in um, January of 99. And um, I was there until we sold to GE in 2002. And then that's when I came back as part of the CEO succession for, for Barry. But I've always put myself in a position of, trying to be a little uncomfortable. So like when I was a junior in college, you know, my parents said, okay, Mm -hmm. you can can go away if you want to. So I went to my counselor and I said, okay, I I need to stay in the state system because my parents can't afford, you know, anything other than that. And I wanted real estate. So he said, well, you can go to Fresno state or you can go to San Diego state. And so again, not having any, any counsel from my parents or anything. I remember I had this, I had, I had this huge bedroom in our house and with blue carpet. And I sat on the blue carpet and I said, well, if you go to San Diego state, you have a lot of friends there. You'll have too much fun. You won't study. So I went to, so I went to Fresno state um, where I knew no one. Um, And um, so you had to learn to make friends and, and you just had, and you know, and they didn't know me and I didn't know them and it didn't, it wasn't a good fit for me. So I went back to San Jose state my senior year. I was just like, I just wasn't, it was too agricultural for me. Um, but, um, but I've always tried to put myself in a situation of pushing myself. And, um, and I think that's when I do my best work is when I'm really, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm either nervous or excited about something, but I'm not really sure that I have all that, all, all the tools lined up. It's kind of like, okay, how do I get this done? But I think that's when I do my best work. Um, and so I've, I've, that has definitely been a theme in my whole life. It's been a theme. Yeah. Sounds like, I mean, you kind of build the parachute on the way down, right? I mean, it sounds, you're constantly jumping out and trying to see if you could figure it out in the way, right? It's pretty, I mean, you sound fearless or a lot of courage, maybe, maybe fear, but a lot of courage. I have said that. I said that, um, I said that at, um, at my Cal and my, my, at the event at the gala is, you know, my MBA made me fearless. I mean, do I use everything that I learned? No, but it, um, you know, because I came out of San Jose State and there was all these men in the office that had this MBA, I probably had a little chip on my shoulder. It's like, I got to get one of those. And so once I got it, it was kind of like, you know, and, and you know, the MBA, I mean, I we went to class on Mondays and Thursday nights and I was still working at BRE, right? So, yeah. you know, I, you know, I sort of got it all done, but so I, it made me fearless. And, um, and um, like I said, it's kind of like, you know, I'll fig- you know, I used to say I'm a Cal grad. I'll figure it out. Of course, I'll figure it out. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, did you ever envision yourself being CEO one day of BRE? Like when you started? No. Oh, oh, my gosh, no. And, you know, I mean, obviously starting starting as a, um, a little intern, you know, um, at $12,000 a year, if I had stayed, I, I'm pretty convinced if I had stayed the whole time that I don't know that I would have been considered uh, because you know how people look at you, they go, Oh, you know, she was that little analyst. And I think they would have always looked at me that way. And so I needed, it's probably like people who, who have a family business. And then sometimes it's good. It's good to go work for someone else before you come into the family business. I don't, I've never experienced that. We didn't have that, but, um, but I think, um, um, so no, I, I, I didn't, but when, and it was funny because when, when the headhunter called me 
up and I was in the middle of doing the merger with GE. And I remember they, they have so funny. They, they wouldn't tell me, they said, there's a readout in California. We can't tell you who it is, but they're looking for a CEO successor. And I remember saying to my husband, I said, wouldn't it be weird if it was Barry? <laughs> and um, so they had eight people. I didn't know who they, but they, they had eight people. They got it down to four. And um, they said, um, the board is board hasn't decided whether they want someone with really, really, really strong development experience or they want someone more operational and outward facing and financial. And they said, so if, if they want a development person, you know, you're out. And if not, so obviously they didn't, they wanted me. And so I started. Um, and so, um, and for me, you know, it, it just sort of seemed, it wasn't anything that I dreamed of. It wasn't, but, but to me in the evolution at that time, I was, what was I, what, 2002. So I was like 37 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, oh, 37, I don't know. I don't know how old I was. <laughs> but, um, um, but it just sort of feel, it felt natural and that I had been managing people. And so now it was time for me to sort of have the P&L was my responsibility. I mean, that was where the, the buck stopped there. And um and like I said, running a public company is the greatest meritocracy. You either you either make it or you don't, right? Yeah. And um and but it was for me, it was an, I was almost it was there almost ten years, and it was an amazing. Uh, I just loved every minute of it. We 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 transformed the culture, we transformed the organization, and um and we set it up for success. So our shareholders won most most of you know our you know we were multifamily, so most of our onsite people kept their job and they're still at Essex and they're doing amazing things. And as in any, um, in any merger, of course, you know, a lot of the corporate staff goes, and that was the part that was so interesting. I had built up such a, um, a level of trust with the organization and we had a, we had a leak. And, um, and so I, you know, I couldn't really help, you know, people, people were like, are we really merging with them? And, um, you know, I, couldn't tell them obviously. And I said, look, we're a public company. We're for sale every day. You know, people are always talking about that. But then when I could finally tell them that it was public and we could talk about it, I said, look, you know, you're going to hear a lot of things during this, during this transition period. And you're going to hear a lot of things about synergies. And I said, let me be honest with you. That's just code for layoffs. And I said, and I'm the first to go. And it was so interesting because so many of our associates were like, wow, if Connie's okay with this, maybe we should be okay with this. <laughs> and so I think it was just being really honest with them. And um, but I think that's probably the, the part that I miss um, is um, is is dealing with the people because I was really at that at the, at that stage, particularly towards the end, um, because I had always had a commitment to retire um, when I was sixty. And really, because at that point, I would have been CEO for um, quite a few years. And what happens in a public company, if if you don't leave, you know, the rest of your team goes, oh, my God, is she going to be here forever? And if everybody else aspires to being a CEO, um, if you don't leave, they, they've got to leave the organization. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a way to have a. Um, it's a way to have a transition that is very smooth. I mean, the greatest gift that a um, 
a board can give its shareholders is a smooth transition of its CEO. And we've seen some companies that are amazing and we've seen companies that are complete flameouts. So my last few years was really helping to develop some of the internal candidates because as the CEO, it's not my job to pick my replacement, it's the boards. But so they, I wanted to give them internal candidates. They would also, you know, continue to look at outside as well. But so I was, I was getting to, um, develop um, the internal candidates, which is which was really fun. So, um, so I, I, you know, I, I, I think I think you're sort of ready for it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you like when you when you graduate from high school. And I remember looking at all the syllabus of all of the classes that I was going to be taking at San Jose State, and they, I was scared to death. I thought, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to do this. And but you're just ready. You just, you know, it's just. A phase of your life and you're just ready for it. And so I was ready for it and, um, you know, loved every minute of it. It was great. Wow. What an amazing story. Um, I actually lived in a BRE complex when I first moved to California. Which and one did you live? Lakeshore Landing. Oh, Lakeshore Landing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Back in, oh, back in 11, January yeah. of 11. Yeah. Well, I hope we treated you well. And I that hope you great. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I appreciate. I mean, so are you ready for the hot seat? Uh, and, sure. All right, let's sure. do it. The hot seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs. HR services and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great, uh, resource for those shops who just maybe doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. All right. There's the, there are the flames. You hear them? Any books you recommend, whether real estate, leadership, life, anything? Okay. Um, well, one of the last books I read, um, because I'm on the bridge board, which is kind of interesting, is called Golden Gates by Connor Doherty. And it's okay. really, um, uh, he's actually a local guy. I'm trying to think, I think he lives in the East Bay, but it's really um, about fighting for housing in America. And um, it's kind of something that I'm passionate about um, um, being on the bridge board. Um, so that was interesting. Um, Last year, was it last year, I think, at ULI, we had Tom Friedman come and talk about his book, Thank You for Being Late, um, okay. which is, and I, I've, it, it was a bit of a slog, but I really, really enjoyed it. And he talked about just how our world, you know, it was, it's a very interesting book and just talking about how things have transformed and the speed at which things are transforming. And, and, um, and then um, for those who know me, I am a um, sort of a nut on Queen Elizabeth the <laughs> first. Um, and so I, in my, um, in my bookcase, I've got all these books on Queen Elizabeth first, um, who, um, when she became, um, queen, when Henry the eighth, um, 
died and her sister died and, you know, all the rest of them. Um, she, um, the, the United Kingdom, um, was one, was almost bankrupt. And when she died, it was one of the most powerful, um, country, um, or empire in the world. And, um, you know, I think I have a book called Elizabeth as CEO and, um, I have this, I'm not a writer, but I do have this fantasy of someday writing a book in present day, um, where, um, but on her life so that she would be the CEO and her privy council would be the board of directors. <laughs> she, she wouldn't get to behead her enemies. That would be most unfortunate. Um, but anyway, so anything on Queen Elizabeth I, um, to me was her leadership skills and her ability Again, think about a woman in a man's world, um, her ability to continue to one, stay alive and manage the empire. So that's kind of interesting. So so th those are probably my three books, but any any Queen Elizabeth the first book um, I'm fascinated on. Awesome. How about podcasts? You listen to any podcasts nowadays? You know, I've listened to, I, I, um, 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 there's a, a real estate one that um, the guys at Terra, Terra Search yep. do. And I listen to his because um, he's got he's always had some interesting people. But I'm really I don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts. Um, you know, I've done more during our shelter in place, um, which has been fun. And um, so I'll probably um, do more of that just because I find it a good, you know, a good use of time. What do you like to do outside of work? Okay, well, so I'm on eight boards, you know, because I'm on. <laughs> yeah. I'm on all my, I'm on, you know, so I'm on three public boards and one corporate board and then on my, on all my nonprofits. Um, but, um, I'm enjoying, um, traveling now and I'm really ready to travel again, really. And, and I do love to, um, travel and, um, and hike and, and read. And, um, so I'm looking forward because I didn't really do again while I was working, you know, my whole life. I mean, I, I took my first real big vacation in 2000 on our 15th wedding anniversary. And then we took another one again in 2014 when I retired. But oh, wow. when, when you're, when you're running an organization, nobody does your work. So when you come back you're, from a vacation, you're exhausted in looking at all the stuff. So I just found we had a, we had a cattle ranch for a really long time. We sold it in 18. We raised um, longhorns and beef cattle. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was a great way to relax. I could go, it was outside of Fort, it was about 90 minutes outside of Fort Worth and I could go and I could work. I could be in the middle of the field, um, on our, on our mule and I could sit there and I could work on, um, my laptop with all the cows around me and it'd be great. So, um, but so now it's, it's travel reading and, you know, walking and hiking and so that's kind of stuff. Wow. What advice would you give to your 20 year old self? <laughs> oh, that smug little girl. Um, you know, I, you know, on, on the one hand, I would say, you know, don't don't take it so seriously. Maybe don't work so hard. Maybe smell the roses a little more. But except, I'm not sure I would have gotten where I did if I had done that. You know, yeah. Um, it's it's hard to go back and look and say what you would have done differently because you never know what path that would have taken. Um. I might have been, I think early on, you know, I, I wish I was maybe a little more courageous um, because, again, I can remember sitting in BRE, again, being the only woman in, you know, outside of the administrative staff. And all the guys would walk by my office and going to lunch. They never once for six years once asked me to go. 
And I was never courageous enough to say, hey, can I join you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, I was just, it just, I don't know, they frightened me or something. And, you know, and they were, most of them were probably anywhere from eight to 10 years older than I was. And um, so I wish I was more courageous in some of those settings. Gotcha. Well, you seem pretty courageous in every area, every other area. So it worked yeah. out okay. <laughs> what did you, or what do you look, what did you look for in hiring people? Was there certain qualities besides the actual technical ability? Yeah, I think um, that's a great question um, because, you know, you assume when you when you get someone's resume or whatever, that they have the technical skills to do the job that they're interviewing for. So it's really more some of the soft skills. And, um, you know, I always um, I always ask I used to always ask them what, what drove them, you know, what what drives you to excellence? Um, and um, and, you know, and of course, obviously, you want someone who's honest and ethical and has empathy, um, but really um, thinks about. Um, themselves part of um, part of a, an organization and, and where they can contribute. Um, I think it's really important to um, for people to understand that you know they have to sell themselves as much as the company has to sell itself on you, and 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 how you can contribute. And um, and and again, sort of thinking about ways that um, um, will make the organization better. And, I, and I, knowing that, of course, the organization is only one part of everyone's life. And so, you know, you're, you're working to achieve goals. And what are those goals? Um, I remember interviewing a, a prospective board member one time who was actually, you know, it was myself and the chairman. And um, it was actually um, going really, really well until... He, until he said, you know, getting being on this board would be really good for my resume. Oh, and yeah. That, it was kind of like, yeah, it probably would, but that's not really why you know we want you here. So I just think it's under, understanding the job, doing your homework. I, I I really always appreciated someone, particularly today. It's so easy. You know, when I first started, you didn't have you know the web and you know all the, all the information on companies um, online, and so you had to do your digging. But make sure that you know the company um, and you've done your homework. Um, um, and you know, and then you're honest and everything else, um, and that you can work in a team. Um, and, um, cause it's, a, it's sort of, you know, it's kind of table stakes to just assume that you have all the skills. So from there, then, um, then what, what you know, what can you do to, to enhance the organization? Amazing. Connie, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was fun. That was fun. Great getting to know you better. I'm sure we could talk for, I could listen to this for hours. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm not sure about that, but anyways, <laughs> I, I swear. This was great. This was great. Well, real estate is an amazing career. It has um, been good to so many of us, which is why I always encourage people to give back. Um, but it isn't no matter what you do in real estate, it's such a great career um, and it's a lifelong career and you're constantly learning. And there's, you know, sometimes I, I teach finance classes at Cal um, you know, I'll teach a, a guest lecture. And I always think, um, what a great time to, um, to be in school and thinking about what their life is going to be like, because think about thinking about, think about being a new CEO today and dealing with COVID or oh, thinking yeah. about thinking about being a CFO today and dealing with COVID um, and thinking about the risks in the organizations. And because I don't think this is going to be the last time. And so it's, how do you, how do you think about that? And then, you know, in real estate, you just think about all the changes that are going on. It's like, what are we going to, what do we do with obsolete 
um, real estate. And, and if we're never driving anymore, what do we do with parking spaces? They can't all be Amazon delivery centers, right? Yes. So I think, I think that opportunities in real estate and to really affect the built environment are going to be so huge over the next 20 to 30 years. I just, I just, you know, it'll be fun to watch. I'll be sitting in the cheap seats, but, um, but, um, but it's going to, it's an amazing career and there's still so much to do. So it's kind of exciting. Well, look forward to seeing how it, how it happens. And I'm sure you're going to play a part. So thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Chris. <laughs>